I am so pleased today to have Sarah Lejeanne Wood with us. She is a filmmaker and she is a very creative person. And when I say she's a filmmaker, I don't mean she just stands there and tells people where to walk and what to say. I mean, she writes and she acts and she also edits, which means she has the technical skills to do that. So we're going to have a fascinating conversation on this session of Dialogues with Creators. Stay tuned. Sarah, I kind of like to let people speak for themselves. So tell us first how you came to the Chattanooga area. Yes, ma'am. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. So cool. I love what you're doing um, to support local artists. And this is just very special. I'm honored to be here. I ended up in the Chattanooga area in 2016. Um, In the fall of 2016, I moved here from LA. I know that sounds like a, how did you get here? Well, I I grew up in the Nashville area. And so Mm -hmm. um, I ended up studying at UCLA for two years in an acting program. And when I finished that program, I felt the call to move back to Tennessee. And so I moved to Nashville for two weeks and then an opportunity to move to Chattanooga opened up and I was like, uh, sure, I'm I'm open. And so I moved here, moved, met my husband, and I've been planted ever since. <laughs> so. Okay. So meeting a husband has something to do with it. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I definitely didn't envision myself in Chattanooga necessarily, but I will say that the the entertainment world has opened up so much with technology and especially for actors with self-taping that you can you can pursue this from just about anywhere and and being in Chattanooga right between LA I'm sorry Atlanta and Nashville is such mm-hmm. a sweet spot to be um so I and I love Chattanooga I love 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 it so I'm very happy that this is <laughs> where uh where the lord had me end up okay that's great it's good to know that you love Chattanooga because in the past, I've known people who didn't. <laughs> their whole goal, their whole goal of life is to get out. But I have to say, having been here for forty-ish years plus, uh, the the town has changed dramatically from what it might have been in the sixties yeah. and seventies. So, and you and you probably have seen lots of different, like you said, the, the, the changing, and so you've probably seen all the different types of changes and mm-hmm. what is there's a word phases that I'm like sorry I'm right. pregnant for those who don't know I'm pregnant and my brain sometimes doesn't work and I can't think of words you've seen some different phases that Chattanooga has gone through and I just happen to really love the one that it's currently in so yes uh it especially has always been a city though I think that has supported the arts yeah and it's trying to do something with filmmaking as well definitely so is your husband uh Transplant or has he always been here? Yeah, he is a Nashville native. He was born and raised in Nashville and then moved here uh, for work maybe eight years ago or so. And so um, he's been here for a while and then he met me and now we're not going anywhere. And he likes his job and I love being able to work from home here. And so it's been great. And the flexibility to go to L.A. if you need. I don't know. I just, man, we found our sweet spot. So I'm very happy about that. Well, we're glad to hear that then. <laughs> so when did you know that acting and filmmaking would be your life? Yes, man. That's a good question because it originally was just acting and I was not interested in filmmaking whatsoever. 
I uh, I started doing theater when I was younger, probably around 10 years old. I, I kind of got bit by the theater bug and started doing lots of um, stage work. I ended up studying theater performance in college. Um, so I, I really loved theater. And then I remember in high school, I did like a, a really silly commercial. That's like my only commercial that I've ever booked. And I did a commercial and I hated it. I hated every second. I hated the hurry up and wait. I love, I missed the live audience of the theater. And so I told my mom never again, I will never do film. And then that didn't pan out the way I thought. Uh, I just didn't know. I didn't like commercials. Apparently I can hurry up and wait for a film. But so in right after I graduated high school, uh, like I said, I went to go study theater and I ended up filming um, a movie that I wrote the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college in North Carolina. And it was just one of those labor love things. You know, I'm 17, 18 years old. I just, I wanted to try my hand at it and it turned out so cute and it was such a good experience. And I really got bit by the film bug at that time. And so it was acting was an immediate, as soon as I started doing that, I was like, well, I love this. And then the mm-hmm. film, came, film came a little bit later, um, but I've always loved movies. I've always been a movie quoter and, you know, I'm always trying to figure out what's coming next and trying to guess the plots. And so that, that the love of film has always been there. I just didn't know that I would love to make films uh, until mm-hmm. later. Okay. What was the first role you had on the stage? Oh, that's such a good question. I played Brigitte in The Sound of Music. <laughs> in Dixon, Tennessee. And I remember auditioning for it and I was so nervous. And one of my favorite stories, well, one of my mom's favorite stories, and I love watching her tell it because she just lights up. Um, but one of her favorite stories of, of me is she actually watched my audition because that was 10, 11, I was young. And the pianist, the accompanist messed up my, my song. And I just, she said, you just took a breath and you took a step forward and you embraced it and you kept going. And she was like, and that's when I knew. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you knew because I was panicked and terrified. Uh, but yeah, so I got to play Brigitte in The Sound of Music. And, and so that was that was my first musical theater stage role. And and I loved man, I loved that. That was super fun. Well, that was that was a big one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a, a, a big bite. And I, I loved mm-hmm. it. And what was the name of the movie that you wrote when you were 17 or so? Yeah. So that was called Sway. And it was um, a jukebox musical, which for those of you who don't know, it's um, when you take a famous artist's collection of works and then write a story out of it. So think Mamma Mia would be like that for ABBA or Across the Universe would be like that for the Beatles. I did Michael Buble music. So it was like very crooner, um, (laughs) easy listening. It was super cute, super sweet, super cheesy. Um, you know, when you're 18, I just, I wanted to write a really fun musical that was, you know, had a good love story. And so anyway, it was really, really sweet and, uh, I never did anything because I don't know if you know, it's a very expensive to license music. I, yes, didn't, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. So, uh, so we made the movie, you know, if you want a free DVD, you can email me, I'll send it to you. I can't sell them, but I can give them out for free, but uh, that, that was fun. It was a good learning okay. experience. Did you have to write music then? No. So we, we, I wrote, I took this, I knew the songs that I wanted to use and I wrote them and I incorporated them into the script. 
And then we we did produce a CD like we produced mm-hmm. a whole album for, for the film. Um, and that actually ended up being really great. That was a lot of fun. A singer is not really the top of my list of things that I would consider myself talented in, but it worked. It, it worked. And yeah, so we we made a whole CD. We had a, a music producer who who did the arrangements and brought in the instrumentalists. And man, it was we did it. <laughs> so I was sitting here thinking, OK, you're not just someone who performs. You are at the most basic and highest levels at the same time. You know, you are an entrepreneur, which is part of what I talk to, to people about on this this podcast is you don't just perform, but you're doing something that is creating opportunities for other people as well. I I wish I did it better. (laughs) I wish I did it uh, better in a sense of, you know, financially able to support others and and give them jobs. But I I appreciate the sentiment. Yes. I think that there is a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit to, to this craft if you're wanting to work on all the different sides of the camera and, you know, all doing all kinds of things. And you definitely have to have that spirit of creating something from the ground up and and putting in the work and the effort. So I I definitely appreciate that sentiment for sure. Right. And it's also very collaborative. I think that many people think the arts are for people that want to sit in a corner and do whatever they do, you know, especially writing. But um, filmmaking is the most collaborative of the arts. I would I would think you know except you know i mean theater obviously is too and and music you know in groups but you know i always i always look at how many people are at the end of the movie credits you know oh yeah (laughs) we're gonna no, and i'm so grateful for that because there are so many jobs i can't do and there are so many jobs i have no interest in in doing and so i am grateful for that for the collaborative spirit especially if you know, if everybody has that collaborative spirit and everyone knows where where their talents and gifts are mm-hmm. and, and how they can work well together and, and bring each other up, I just ugh, there's nothing like that experience. Yeah, sure. The one that always uh, gets me is I understand directing and where people stand and vocal and acting and all that, but lighting. <laughs> like, yes. how do you know that this light is going to work? Right. I mean, I've seen the diagrams. I conceptually get it, but practically I'm like, I have, that's just, it's way over my head. That and, and audio editing. I mean, I, man, audio editing is, that takes a very special kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I know that special kind of person. Yeah, I know that because I have a producer who's brilliant. She is, she gets the whole audio. She hears things I don't even hear. Right. So, yeah. And, uh, hands off to her. So the way I met you was that recently we screened at Dalton State Amazing Gracie, and it's amazing. <laughs> what was the inspiration or starting point for that film? Sure. First of all, thank you again for having us there. That was such a sweet, special time to just. Get to you were so wonderful. You you really know how to do that crowd. <laughs> deal with people well, just talking about what i love so yeah but yes i'm so grateful we got to go and and i'm hopeful that it was inspiring to someone um mm-hmm. so yeah we i started writing that before the pandemic so it was uh, probably the summer of 2019 i had just had a spark of inspiration while i was at a christian film festival to kind of write a film 
that was about redemption between a mom and a daughter. Not necessarily because that was something that I was needing in my personal life. I have a, a lovely relationship with my mom, but it's just really important to me. I think we see a lot of films and I say this in the best way possible. We see a lot of films like the Kendrick brothers focusing on fathers and sons. And I just want to have that as well for the women and, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I knew this theme that I wanted to go with. I knew that that was kind of where I wanted to, to lead. And I knew it had to be a comedy because I just, I love writing comedies and that's, I knew that that's where, how I wanted it to, to come about. And then I, um, at the time, my niece was about five years old, my honorary niece, I should say. And she, um, man, she is very similar to the lead character of Gracie in that film. She just is five going on 15 and will tell you how it is. And I just love that about her. And so I kind of just emulated her spirit, I guess, in creating, um, in creating the character of Gracie. And, and I knew that, that that would obviously lend itself to some good comedy moments between the two, the two characters where you have the, the five-year-old or in the movie, she ends up being like seven, the seven-year-old who is teaching the adult how to be an adult. And so Mm -hmm. I just saw an opportunity there for, for the comedy aspect of it while also creating a beautiful relationship between this aunt and this niece as well. Right. It's, just a beautiful story about women in general and the different Ah. types of relationships they have. So that's kind of how it came about as far as the idea. And then I would tell you the, I initially wrote it for the church that made it. So I work for, um, or I was working at the time for a church who makes movies as part of their mission. It's just every year they make a film and COVID really messed with that. And so we had a lot of extra time for writing. And so I ended up writing this film during COVID um, or like doing the um, most of the the editing. I, I had written it, like I said, just before COVID in 2019. But then during COVID, I was really able to edit it, get where I needed it to go for filming. And then they were like, yep, yeah, we're going to make this one next. And they did. They We filmed it in, in June of 2022. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's been, I also cast the film. Um, and so going through that process of finding a Gracie and finding the mom character and who I was going to, because I wrote it knowing that I was going to be in it. So that was fun. But yeah, it's, it has been, it's been many years, definitely a, a many year process of, of getting this film made. And it's so rewarding to have it finally be out and, and I get to share it with people and talk about it. Mm, yeah. You know, there's there's so much I can ask you about that. I think it's interesting that a church makes a movie every year, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and they they do it professionally. It's not it's not cheesy at all. It's it looked good, it uh, sounded good. It was, and how did you connect with that church? Yeah, that's um, thank you for saying that. That's very nice, and that is a huge testament to um, the volunteers that work on that film. And their just incredible heart for mission and the the messages of the films that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they are just so dedicated. And the pastor, the lead pastor who ends up who has directed these these films, he he also has a heart for making sure that each film is better than the last, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I do think that from from their first film to now, and then even their next film, they've already made it. They've already filmed it. I think it's in editing right now, but. Just every film he wants to to take it one notch higher, and so he he just does a really great job of of training those folks and pouring into them. Um, but I got 
uh, plugged in with them in 2014. They were mm-hmm. doing they were doing a casting call for the lead in one in their second film called Fat Chance. And I was in Nashville at the time and I saw the open call and I I sent in a, a self-tape when this is kind of when self-tapes were just becoming the thing. And I sent in a self-tape and did a callback and then did like a director session or we did like a Zoom call, which was a total disaster. I was in Ireland at the time. The only time I've ever been to Ireland. I was in Ireland at the time. The connection was terrible. It was like three o'clock yeah. in the morning my time. We hung up and I told my mom, I was like, well, that's not going to work out. <laughs> it's like, well, I tried I tried my best. And then I get home from Ireland. And of, of course, they offered me the role and the rest is history on that one. But um, so I, I, I drove to North Carolina. We filmed that movie over about nine, nine weeks. And I, right in the middle of it, he said, the director was like, well, I was overhearing the director say that their editor had had dropped out. And my mom was on set that day and she was like, you should tell him, you should tell him that you also edit. I was like, mom, stop. No. And I was so embarrassed. And uh, eventually I did tell him, I was like, hey, I just want you to know that like, this is my day, you know, my day job is video editing. I have a degree in it. If you're interested, you know, if you guys are interested in earning any help. So we ended up doing a test run of me editing a couple scenes and they were like, yep, well, we're going to do that. So I ended up editing the film that I originally got cast for for them and just our first film from my, so my first film with them I starred in it and I edited their film and ah. we ended up just having such a great working relationship that I ended up working for the church remotely um, doing video editing for them and then obviously I've I've edited their some of their films since then I think I've edited in total including Amazing Gracie and that chance I think five four or five of their films so it's just been such a great relationship. I've learned a ton. I think they've learned a ton. Mm-hmm. And it's just really cool to see how, just back to that collaborative effort. It's just really cool to see how God puts all of the puzzle pieces of of the people together that, that uh-huh. make a movie. Right. Listeners, I love doing this podcast. I hope deeply that you also enjoy listening. As we bring this content free of charge, I have some requests that will help it continue. We have exceeded 2,000 listens for the 24 yes and 30 episodes. That doesn't include the YouTube listens. And none of it would have happened without Clemencia Villafuerte, our producer. I have to say that I depend on her a great deal. In some ways, that number's great because I don't do much advertising or promotion. I depend on listeners to repost on social media and for the guests to post the links on their websites. On the other hand, it's really pretty low as the podcast world goes. Really, really low. So I can't monetize it, at least not yet. That's good and bad. You all don't have to listen to random commercials about the who knows what. Yay! And I don't have any financial help. Boo. So here are the asks as the trendy people say now. I'm not sure what was wrong with the word requests, but number one, keep telling folks about this podcast. Even if it's just one that you particularly cared for, tell them about that one and they might get interested in the others. Of course, keep listening. Third, and here's the commercial part, buy my books to offset the costs of the podcast. 
I don't talk about them much because I'm really terrible at marketing. I have several novels available on Amazon. You can look them up under Barbara G. Tucker or Barbara Graham Tucker, as in Graham Cracker, rolling my eyes, or you can ask me for signed copies. The most recent, Sudden Future, by Colorful Crow Publishing, would make a great Christmas gift for a reader of any age. I will have another coming out before Christmas, Long Lost Justice. Others are Bringing Abundance Back, which I call the Southern Chicklet Book, Long Lost Family, a not-so-cozy mystery, Long Lost Promise, even less cozy. I haven't figured out how murders can be cozy. And The Unexpected Christmas Visitors, a story about refugees. All are on Kindle, too. Also, I have short Bible studies. I'm not at the GoFundMe point yet. Finally, buy the books of the folks I've interviewed here or will. Luke Manjay of Ginseng Diggers, Becky Woolley, Ray Atkins, Kamie Ballantyne, Devereaux Shivington Stebbins, Susan Kirkland, Renee Winchester, Carly Land, David Cady, Millicent Flake, Noah Knox Marshall, and Amber Nagel. You are a person interested in the artistic community of Chattanooga, Northwest Georgia, and beyond. Help them out. Thank you for listening to this commercial. Did the pastor have a background in film? No. <laughs> really? no. Okay. Not at all. From what I understand, they were doing really big um, theater productions, like theatrical okay. productions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they, they got a script that they really liked from one of their congregants. And it was a true story, but they didn't want, it was like so many scenes and, you know, in theater, yeah, yeah. you, you got to limit it. So they were like, this might be better as a film. Why don't we try our hand in that? And then they ended up, I think they ended up switching oh. from doing these big theater productions to just doing the films every year. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that's kind of how they, they switched from, from, from that. And then he's just done tons of research, taken lots of classes and things like that yeah. to hone in his skills as, as well, on top of being um, a lead pastor at a church. <laughs> right. That's amazing. Uh, it was, um, I was listening to your, your podcast. Mm, yes. Yeah. No, I have a podcast with my mom called The Collaboration Conversation. Right. That's, thank you. And, you were interviewing or had as a guest the actress who plays your mom in mm-hmm. the film. And that was a really interesting conversation because she had she had not been in really acting for a long time. Right. But you can really tell she's good. I mean, she's she knows how to really be on camera. And some oh, man don't, you know. <laughs> she definitely she works hard, but man, she doesn't really have to. She is feeling uh-huh. natural and it just comes very easy. I don't, I shouldn't say it comes easy to her. Cause I, like I right. said, she does a ton of work, but man, she makes it look easy. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, one of my favorite things is that every time we watch it, I always hear someone say, man, I just want to smack that mom. 
And that just, <laughs> that's just a testament to how good she is. Because in real life, she's just the sweetest. This is a right. Lam- Patty Lambert. And she's just wonderful. Uh, no one would ever want to smack her ever. Uh, but yeah. she does such a good job as the as the antagonistic mom in the film. And so and I also have to preface my mom loves this joke that it's not a joke, but just that I preface that she was this character was not based on my mom. I was about to, I was about to say that. So uh, so she doesn't get in trouble. Yes. In my latest novel, the the protagonist is a 30 year old male. And I have to say this is not my son. <laughs> so you know, get it. <laughs> has nothing to do with him. That's right. So, yeah. One thing, of course, there are many things about Amazing Gracie that are amazing. But what I liked was the resolution and that it was character driven and it wasn't, oh, everything's just happy and she gets the judge gives the you know, the, the, the aunt, the baby and and the little girl. And, you know, when that would be stretching credulity a little bit, you know, sure. but that, um, that you come to a resolution that makes sense. Yeah. Well, thank you. I like it. I like that a whole lot. And, um, along with the acting being so real. And then also that it took, it took us a while, but, you know, and, you, and on your journey as your character's journey, it's like, she's, She's so bitter against her mom and about her dad dying. And then she realizes that how how incredibly hard this has been on her mother. And she's been, I mean, I don't want to be ugly, but your character is just so about yourself. And yeah, that you just totally don't get that she's lost her her daughter yeah. and, and her husband in a short period of time. And and how hard that must be. And she's been so no wonder the mother's bitter. You know, and and so, and and so negative, I guess, towards the the remaining daughter is just you, the main character. You know, yeah, it was like, yeah, wow, it was the kind of you know. And I think that ended up being um, a really beautiful kind of sub theme. I would say is that I think that in in this day and age, everybody grieves. I'm not in this day and age in general. People grieve differently. I think that. That that's okay. And I think that there is space and there needs to be space and compassion for all the different ways that people need to grieve. And this just was a, a very in, intense case of two people who grieve very differently. And it was unacceptable yeah. to both of them how the other one chose to grieve. And so I, I, I definitely hope, and I've, I've talked to some folks who, who have seen the film, who have had, you know, a familial loss, a loss of a son or a loss of a daughter who have just said, you hit the nail on the head with some people are like, we're going to dwell on this and we're going to we're going to hold on to this grief as long as we can. And then there are some people who just have to try to move on in order to function. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just just trying to show the respect or I guess lack of respect that they had for that for that in each other and how forgive might not be the right word. But once you can reconcile that, reconcile that there are different ways to grieve and and respect that in each other, man, that forgiveness of, of all the bitterness and the the reconciliation can be super beautiful and super healing. So, yeah, I, I love that that ended up being, uh, like I said, that wasn't necessarily a, a theme that I wanted to go from right off the bat, but I love that that was a sub theme for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's the thing about writing is that sometimes people will, and I say this in a good way, sometimes it happens in a bad way, but people will, will find something in it that resonates with them that wasn't really your primary thing. You were only maybe even halfway conscious of it. And, sure. and they, for example, in my 
in, in my latest novel, I don't want to talk about myself, but the the mother of the character is in hospice and is dying of cancer. And I wrote about that from my own experience, but a friend of mine said that was the part she didn't like in the book because she had just lost her mom in the last year, you know, and the more thing. So, and you know, that was, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You just, you just never know who's going to get their hands on it and how it's going to impact them and mm-hmm. how their story is going to play into it. I, there have been several people who have said that they have gone through the foster system or the adoption system and trying to watch that play out on screen was, you know, maybe not painful, but it definitely brought up a lot of emotions of the tension that is being held between what's going to happen to these children, you know, and you, you hope for the best. And obviously we, like we said, we like the ending on this one, but yeah, you, you, ah, man, that's kind of the beautiful part. And obviously we, you were just talking about how it wasn't her favorite part of <laughs> of your book, yeah. but yeah, I'm sure with someone else, it, it resonated with them and they were able to relate mm-hmm. better and things like that. So that's another beautiful part, I guess, of what we do is as creators is we get to tell stories that people connect to for sure. Good or yes. bad. So I'm I'm sure that you have heard all the bad critiques of so-called Christian movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I sometimes wonder if there is such a thing as a Christian film or a Christian movie. So how do you respond to that? Those critiques. And what do you think, you know, is can be done about it is being done about it i think it's getting better yeah uh, my friends in the in the industry are trying to make it better i'm with you i i would tell you that i probably part of me is one of those critics unfortunately mm-hmm. i'm i i will be the first to confess that for sure but at the same time i would agree with your friends that and and you that it is getting better that we are making strides toward toward more mainstream availability of these films. I think for me, there is a difference between a Christian film and a faith-based film. Now I want to tell you that I think Amazing Gracie is a Christian film in a sense that we, we talk about Jesus. We talk about God. There's not a salvation scene in this movie, but a lot of the films that I've made in the past have a salvation scene, which to me, that's check that off. It's a Christian film. Now, some of the, the <laughs> other movies I've written are faith-based where you just have these redemptive themes that that mm-hmm. are making people just better people and uh, giving them hope and you know, pointing them towards, you know, towards the fruit of the spirit and things like that. And so I think in the overtly Christian world, it is such a, I don't know how I want to say this. It feels like all of our eggs are in a couple of different baskets. Um, you have these these bigger companies that have the money to make these films that are beautiful that people want to watch. They're able to pay, you know, the writers and and things like that. Where you have independent films that are really struggling to compete, um, and it's not a competition, but at the same time, the resources aren't spread around. I know that if that makes any sense. And and I, I don't want to make it all about money because it's not, but ultimately, ultimately you want a good writer. You got to be able to pay for a good writer, right? Those kinds of things. And so I think that we live in a world right now where a lot of people have this mentality of just grab your phone. You can make a, you can make a film on your phone, which is <laughs> true, which is true. And you're going to get, you know, a grab your phone quality film. And so I, I guess my, my biggest encouragement to folks who want to see a change in this, in this, and if you're passionate about um, seeing Christian films 
or faith-based films in in the mainstream, you know, in theaters or on your on your streaming platforms is like find local filmmakers or regional filmmakers, watch their films, find somebody that you really believe in and that you like, invite them to dinner, <laughs> learn about them, you know, treat, treat, you know, some of us, I would tell you, myself included, treat this as our mission field. So meet them just like you would, you know, like you would want to embrace a missionary into your home, talk to them, get to know their story, what kind of films they want to make. And then if you're interested, support them, you know, and if you are able to invest in a film or at the very least, just be praying for their next project. I mean, those are the things that that are going to help shape, in my opinion, this next kind of trajectory of Christian films that it's, that's currently happening. And and with all of the different streaming services, I mean, everything is just becoming so much more accessible, but we're still not, it still feels like we're not on the bigger platforms yet. We're still on the smaller, on the smaller side, which is fine for now, but you know, we want to reach the masses. That's the, that's the calling. So, so yeah, if, if that's something you're passionate about, I definitely think it's important to think of Christian filmmaking as a mission field because it, it is there's we go to battle the enemy is at work against it <laughs> there's there's all kinds of things that resources that they need um, in order to make a good film so in my mind that's why I stopped being a critic was I was like oh I was critiquing a bunch of stuff that I wasn't actually supporting <laughs> so oh, yeah now I'm in it and now I get it and I'm like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna stop doing that because these people are doing their absolute best with the resources that they were given mm-hmm that that's really that's really a good word. Thank you. Um, so when um, you and I talked before at the screening, we talked about your interest in the deconstruction and the, mm-hmm. the book Death by De- Deconstruction, which is in my cart in Amazon. I just haven't pushed the button Excellent. yet. <laughs> and you've been doing some reading and research, and I think you said you're going to make a film about deconstruction. Yeah faith yeah so talk about that a little bit because sure. very very interesting i don't understand all of it but well neither do i which is why i'm so interested in it um and this is actually the first time i've ever talked about this on on a podcast or anything and so you'll have to bear with me as i as this is the first time i've kind of publicly i guess talked about this but i just have a heart for those who have deconstructed i think Right now, the the deconstruction movement, and I put the deconstruction in quotation marks because it's just become this catch-all word for leaving the church. And I think, you know, I think it it reminds me of like in the 90s and early 2000s, people would say, I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling with my faith. I think we're, it's just a new word for that. And I think I got into it obviously i read this book last year and i it's a uh, death to deconstruction by josh porter he's a pastor as well but i think this washington state area um he's awesome and i loved i just loved this book deconstruction had been kind of in my circle of circle of friends just folks realizing that what they had been taught growing up doesn't sit well with them anymore and so basically i think what is happening there's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with the word deconstruction. It, you know, it means just to reduce something down to its parts in order to reevaluate or reinterpret them. I'm here for that. I think that there are some very toxic things that I was taught growing up in church that were kind of more scare tactic based that I don't actually believe um, now. So those are some things I have personally deconstructed, right? The, the word deconstructed or deconstruction doesn't bother me. It's just become this 
like I said, kind of catch off our well, I've deconstructed. And like, as if that's the end of what you're supposed to do. But the end of the definition is that you're then going to reinterpret them or reconstruct something. Right, right. And so I think for me, it becomes about these people in my life and people across the world, but especially in my in my millennial age range, where it's just become too much work for them to to find the nuances of the Bible and to be able to take things that are really hard to swallow and accept them as the truth and accept them as God's word, because socially it's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard topics. I'm not I'm not saying it's well, just let, you know, swallow it and let it be and give it up to God, because as you saw in the movie Amazing Grace, that's like my least favorite things is when people just say give it up to God, which is there's I should say there's validity to that statement, but just choosing not to dive into the nuance and choosing not to go to the Lord with these questions is not the answer. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it becomes too hard for them or too much work for them. And it's just so much easier to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, well, I deconstructed and that's all I'm going to do. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas I feel like if you, um, if you can picture a house for me, right, you have, then it's, it's your, it's representing your faith and, the walls and the furniture, and those are all of the the theologies that you've been taught or that you believe in. Well, so for me, a big one is purity culture. Well, I think that there is absolute validity in saving yourself and and purity is a good thing. The way that I was taught about purity was not great. So I'm going to take that couch. And I'm going to I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to get me a new couch or. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is, we might knock down a wall. But the point is, is you don't knock down a wall or take the furniture out because they they no longer serve you. And then you just leave the house mm-hmm. like that. and You just walk away. You're supposed to reconstruct something. So I know that that's a, a long winded metaphor, but I just I feel like most people who are deconstructing start with the most best of intentions, which is to truly find who Jesus is to them. And continue to build that relationship and to dive into the Bible. And then it becomes too hard. And then they there's this incredible pressure from peers and just from life in order to have all the answers. And you just don't. And that's that has a tension yeah. that is really hard to sit in. And they don't want to sit in it anymore. And honestly, mm-hmm. I don't honestly I don't blame them sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this tension is so you know, and then making a film about it, that's I can't even can't even think about that right now because I'm so pregnant, but <laughs> but making film about that, you know, I'm going to have to sit in that tension and embrace that tension and encourage others to embrace that tension and mm-hmm. the nuances and, and encourage them to go, you know, always go back to the word and always go back to prayer. But that's, that's such a hard thing to say to someone who feels like they have to have the answers at all times. So mm. all that to be said is I just feel like it's a, it's a, it's a movement that is rooted in good things. It's rooted in, in getting rid of some of the really painful parts that people have put, that people have misinterpreted God's word, right? So they're, they're doing good work, but we, we, it's not finished. They have to keep going. Anyway, I know that that was, that was long winded and I'm, I am not a, a kind of, what's the word? I'm not an expert and I just have a passion for it. I just have seen it. Um, I've seen how it has, been painful to the to people that mm-hmm. I love 
And so I just want to encourage folks that deconstruction is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I really want to encourage you that from that deconstruction, always seek Jesus, always seek God, always go to the word so that you can reconstruct, you know, your theology around him and, and what mm-hmm. he, he has to say, no matter how hard it is. Yeah. You know, the word I thought of when you were talking is ambiguity Mm -hmm. is that uh, we have to become, I don't want to use the word comfortable, but accepting of ambiguity and that we we're never promised to have all the answers. Right. It seems to me that the idea that we should have all the answers is the first thing we ought to deconstruct. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely i 100 percent agree with that because Ugh. you don't and i think i think one of the things that i have really questioned about you talk about purity culture i was too old for that but but the whole you know in my generation is more into the po- political stuff which i know yeah. the millennials took because i have a son about your age and and yeah. so that's you know that's a big tension for for them yeah that we talk evangelicals and and christians of that stripe talk about god like they've got him figured out right you know and i'm like where do y'all come up with this stuff you know (laughs) right why do you make these god won't do this or god always does this is it why you're taking one verse out of context and making it extrapolating it so much into everywhere that you just you're you know there's some ambiguity here you don't you don't get to make those statements and yet people do and then if you're raised in that and it falls apart obviously you're going to have faith problems yeah your foundation's going to be shaken yeah yeah for sure and that doesn't even get in the political thing where people are so incon- incongruous and inconsistent which we don't need to go there but anyway. i'm with you though and i think i think the if if we knew everything about god and we knew why he was doing everything and we knew exactly and we had all of the answers where does the faith where does faith come in like come on you know what i'm saying like it's the it's the basic part of having faith is that there is something greater than you that you don't understand that you don't know um, but that you trust in and that that you that you, you know, we're we are servants and we are citizens of his kingdom. And in that uh-huh. we have to submit to that king and we're not going to know everything about him. We're just not. And mm-hmm. and so I think and to, to say that we do is is pride. And I think that that, yeah. you know, that is something that the enemy thrives in is is prideful people. I think that that's we recently in the same book club that we did that we read death to, De- death to deconstruction. Uh, we just read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and he talks mm-hmm. about pride being like the sin that the enemy is able to to hold on to and, and really use. And so I do think I do think you're right. I think that that idea of we have to have all the answers is just another form of pride. And we have to we have to be able to let that go. Oh, we have to be able to let that go. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think for me, it's when it's when deconstruction is the end of the sentence. Oh, well, I deconstructed and I just want to be like neat. <laughs> And what did you, what have you rebuilt? You know what I'm saying? Yes. You need to use it as the end of your story or at the, as the end of your Mm -hmm. means you abandoned it. All right. I'd rather you just be honest, be like, I, I abandoned my faith because it doesn't serve me anymore. And so it's too hard to explain and I don't want to do it anymore. 
to me, true deconstruction is like I said, where you where you are able to spiritly, spirit led, discern what you have learned and what you believe and turn to the word, turn to prayer and and figure out what who God is to you and who Jesus is and and his character and rebuilding your faith from that versus mm-hmm. what you taught your whole life. That's that's deconstruction and reconstruction. And yeah, and so that like you can hear, I have a passion for it. I have no idea what story I'm going to tell about it. Okay, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I can I can see you coming up with a good story though from that. I hope so, and I hope it's not uh, personal because um, I've got too many personal stories about it. I got to find something that hasn't actually happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> and I think something you said earlier about telling a woman's side of the story. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's always a default in those situations to to men's stories. Sure. And and I imagine there are more men, male filmmakers for whatever reason than there are female and especially more male Christ, Christian. Again, air quotes. Um, yeah, I hear, I'm with you on that. <laughs> or faith based ones as well. So. Well, Sarah, it has been great to have you on here. This has been a terrific conversation. I think we could go on longer, but you are a filmmaker, a writer, actress, editor, and mover and shaker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful. So, so grateful that you had that you had me on. And I know you got to see it, but if anyone is interested in watching Amazing Gracie, you could buy a DVD at projectbrickworks.org slash store. That's my nonprofit that I help run, okay. projectbrickworks.org. And then um, you could also, if you're interested in streaming, you can rent or buy it on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Google Play. And then if you have a subscription to Tubi, it is currently on there for free. Anyway, I'm thank you for letting me share it with your with your students and mm-hmm. you and now sharing me with your listeners. I'm I'm just super grateful. And I, I love how when God connects people like this, it's just so yes. awesome. It is it is fabulous. Bye bye. Bye bye.